Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another college football coach is fired and Ohio State prepares for some tougher competition after flying past the Big Ten's lower and middle class. Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 26th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. We're going to be joined in just a second by Patrick Murphy, who covers Ohio State for Bucknuts 24-7, 24-7 Sports' Ohio State site. You've heard him several times here on the College Football Daily. We're talking Ohio State's defensive turnaround, promoted secondary coach Matt Barnes to defensive coordinator de facto at least and he's done a nice job is he the next Jeff Halfley why CJ Stroud is deserving of a trip to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony Ohio State is just really really good I'm not saying they're the best team in college football I'm not doing that but I would like to see them play Georgia that's for certain and then of course we can't let Patrick join the show without asking him about Quinn Ewers so we're going to get to that in just a second. Not leading straight into it because we have some actual news on the college football front. Texas Tech fired head coach Matt Wells. Third-year coach was a hire from Utah State. Of course, Texas Tech fired Cliff Kingsbury, who's now doing a great job with the Arizona Cardinals, and brought in Matt Wells. Wells was just 13-17, and 17, has not been recruiting well. Buyout of $7 million was worth it because this program is flatlining. They were up 24-10 on Kansas State on Saturday. And I was like, okay, they're going to get they're gonna get within a game of bowl eligibility. They're going to save Matt Wells' job. And then they didn't score again in the second half and lost. So, yeah, I, I think that was a uh, the smart move by A.D. Kirby Hokut. And now the question is, who do they hire? Who do they go after? We're going to talk about this on Wednesday's episode of the College Football Daily. But some obvious names to keep in mind in Lubbock are Jeff Trailer and Sonny Dykes and Barry Odom. Kendall Bryles, I don't know. It's uh, six jobs open. It's not even November yet. What's going on in college football? This is wild. And a few more, especially in the ACC, will be open, I think, by December 1st as well. Nonetheless, we'll talk more about Texas Tech on Wednesday. And for now, it's time to go to Patrick Murphy to talk about the Buckeyes. All right. Patrick Murphy joins us, one of our most frequent recurring guests on the College Football Daily. So, Pat, before we hit record, I was asking you... Just kind of taking the temperature, trying to trying to see what what most interesting storylines to hit uh, regarding the Buckeyes. And I loved what you said. I'm not going to ask you to like repeat it word word for word, but uh, you have a pretty good take on on the program as it stands right now, and and the fact that this is a really good football team. We think. And the conference isn't as good as we thought, and therefore, whatever happens in the next six weeks, like it might kind of be same old, same old for Ohio State as far as not knowing how good they are to the playoff. Right, and I think you hit it spot on. There was that. Well, I, I took what you ago. hit. I I hit what you said. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about the Big Ten 
and there's all these teams ranked in the top 10 and it looks like this you know second half of the season is going to be a you know grudge match each week and Ohio State will finally get tested by teams that are you know close to them in terms of uh, you know talent and whatnot and these last couple of weeks then we've we've kind of seen that fall off Penn State loses at home to Illinois this past week uh, Michigan has looked good but has deficiencies Michigan State same thing Purdue got into the rankings and then lost after beating Iowa so yeah all of a sudden it, it kind of looks like Ohio State assuming they win these games and gets to the playoff we still may be asking these same questions about is Ohio State's defense really that good? Have they improved that much coming out of a Big Ten championship, assuming the Buckeyes make it that far? So, yeah, I think it's the narrative has changed and people in Columbus are very much waiting to see this team get tested, but just don't know when it's going to happen. Because, like I said, some of these teams just have, have disappointed a little bit um, in terms of what we thought a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and even Nebraska, which is the opponent on November yeah. 6th, we thought they were looking spunky and then they lose to Minnesota, which, of course, Ohio right. State has already already played. So I'm in credit there. And then, and then Iowa, Patrick, you know, we were excited about the big 10 championship and now Iowa's probably not all that elite in that sense. Are Ohio state fans disappointed that Penn state lost to Illinois? I think so. I think that, you know, it's always interesting during the games because I think Ohio state fans, you, you look on Twitter and whatnot, and I think they get excited for these upsets, but it does take some of the luster off of that game next week. Instead of it being a top 10 game, now uh, I think Penn State was was 20 in the AP poll this week. So uh, all of a sudden, it's not uh, it's not as big of a game. It's still going to be a good game, I imagine. But the same thing with, with Michigan. You know, Ohio State fans each week, it's, it's fun, I guess, to cheer against Michigan, especially when they're in a, a dogfight. But obviously, you want that game to be as big as possible at the end of the year. So uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword. But yeah, I think for the most part, people were disappointed that it's not um, just a, a one-loss Penn State team coming into Columbus on Saturday night. Going back to week two, given what we know now about Oregon, mm -hmm. and I know it's a different team than it was week two in Columbus with CJ Verdell out, but we saw Oregon lose to Stanford. We saw them struggle to beat Cal. The UCLA game, I'm giving the Ducks props. Some people were like, that was a bad win, though. Does that change? I mean, Patrick, it was a bad loss. When you look, and I know, I know things have changed. We're gonna get, we're gonna get into the defensive adjustments. But is that a every nine times out of ten, Ohio State wins and Oregon wins once, and that was the one? Was that a fluke? Was that just a totally different team in in the second week of September than what we're seeing now? How do you look back on that week now, knowing that Oregon is not some juggernaut? I think it was probably a little bit of all that. You know, I think if they probably played again, I don't know if they win nine out of 10 times, especially if you know, Oregon didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau in that game and a couple other guys. If those guys are in there, maybe that helps the Ducks. But with the way Ohio State's playing right now, I do think that the Buckeyes would, you know, if they were to meet Oregon again, say this Saturday, I do think the game would, would go differently. But, you know, I think that part of the reason that Ohio State has gotten better is because of what happened in that Oregon game. So, you know, if they beat Oregon, maybe it comes back to bite them and they don't make some of these adjustments and, and change some things as quickly in the season. So I think, you, you know, you didn't like to lose that game if you're Ohio State, but I do think it made you kind of look at yourself in the mirror. And, and I honestly don't think it matters too much what Oregon does in terms of Ohio State. You saw in 2014, Ohio State lost to a bad Virginia Tech team at home in, in week two. And by the end of the season, they were good enough to make the playoff and obviously won the national championship. So I think the fact that Oregon continues to be a top 10 team helps Ohio State a little bit. I do think that the Ducks have a bit of an argument because, hey, we beat Ohio State. But 
I, I was talking to somebody on Saturday that I, I said, you know, I don't think you need to worry about Oregon. That's not a team that uh, is concerning right now. If Ohio State continues to win these games convincingly, and looks like a completely different team from week two. You mentioned the changes they made. What Dive into what Ryan Day has done staff-wise since week two against Oregon. So it's interesting because they didn't change anything in terms of there were, there were, nobody was fired, nobody was brought in. Kerry Combs, who was the defensive coordinator last year and this year, and he was a cornerbacks coach at Ohio State prior to that, spent a couple of years in between serving on Ryan Day and, and Urban Meyer's staff in the NFL with the Tennessee Titans. But he'd never called a defense before. I know people probably saw Ohio State get exposed last year defensively in the national championship game, and even to some degree against Clemson, even though they won that game. So the idea was that the problems defensively were going to be fixed in the offseason, having a normal offseason. And we saw in the first couple of weeks that, that they weren't. It was a lot of the same story. So Ryan Day made a pretty bold decision. He moved Kerry Combs, or took play calling duties away from Kerry Combs, moved him up to the press box on game day, had Matt Barnes, who was the secondary coach, take over the, the play calling and kind of running the defense. And it's still very much a collaborative effort. And we've talked to Kerry Combs since then. And you know he's been very much a team player through all this. But I know that Matt Barnes is much more of an X's and O's guy. And I think the fact that he's now calling the defense has allowed for Ohio State to make adjustments in game that they weren't able to do against Oregon. And for people that watched that game, you saw Oregon run very similar plays for touchdowns multiple times. And you have to be able to adjust to that. Ohio State wasn't able and it cost them that day. And I think now what you're seeing now, granted, it's, it's not been against elite offenses, but when teams have started to do things well, it's quickly figured out and you quickly have uh, have things solved when the defense takes the field again. You saw it on Saturday against Indiana. The Hoosiers came right down the field and scored on that first offensive drive, and we're using a lot of uh, tight end and stuff over the middle. The Buckeyes shut that down the rest of the game. So that's what I think has been the biggest thing, Ryan Day making that decision, and, and Matt Barnes, kind of his tactical schematic knowledge, I think has been a big thing uh, for the Buckeyes and, and what looks to be a pretty improved defense. Yeah, so obviously there's going to have to be, and we'll jump big picture long term here, and then jump back to to the current team because you got to get sure. into Stroud and, and the receivers and, and Trey Henderson. But Barnes is is 35. In a way, I'm I'm looking at their two resumes, and I, I can kind of see a little Jeff Halfley in in a young guy with mm-hmm. obscure beginnings at schools where I don't know they're located and all that stuff. But Halfley had a lot of NFL stuff on his resume. You know, Bucks coach, Browns secondary, the 49ers defensive backs coach. Yeah, Barnes is not. He, you know, I mean, he's he's younger. He's seven years younger. He, he you know, did some work with with Michigan, Maryland, and all that stuff. Any chance he's the new DC, or is Ryan Day going to be going shopping for the best two million dollar DC he can find? I would not be surprised if that's the move that they'd go with with Matt Barnes um, in the in the off season. Um, you know, and, and if things work out, you know, maybe they keep the titles, and, and it'll obviously depend what Kerry Combs wants to do. But keep the titles as is. You know, obviously, there's you know, money attached to having a certain title and whatnot. So that's the whole thing. But I think they're very happy with Matt Barnes. He was a guy that they brought over as the special teams coach from Maryland, where actually he went through a similar situation where he had to take over some calling stuff. So he's done it before. And when when they appointed him secondary coach this offseason, after the retirement of Greg Madison, I talked to people on the program who were pretty excited about it because of, like I said, that that X's and O's knowledge and the way he teaches things. And you know, maybe it wasn't the most sexy of moves to the outside, but People really liked the the move internally. So 
I think they really like him. And, and if it keeps working, I don't see a reason that you make much of an adjustment, um, you know, unless you lose somebody else somewhere. On Ryan Day's side of the ball, his specialty offense, Buckeyes are number three in passing yards per attempt, number two in rushing yards per attempt, best offense in the country, it says here. CJ Stroud's on fire. Travion Henderson is one of the best running backs in the country. You already knew the, the receiver core was one of the best. Uh, no, it is the best receiving core in the country. One of the best O-lines in the country. Who are you sending to New York, Patrick? Which one of these guys? That's a good question. Uh, I think if things continue as they are now, it would probably be CJ Stroud if uh, if I had to guess, just because he's the one putting up big numbers and not that Travion Henderson isn't and these receivers aren't, but there's been so many games since that Oregon loss where Ohio State's gotten ahead big. Travion Henderson twice, I believe, hasn't even played in the second half of games because of the number of receivers they've, they've rotated, especially when they're up big again. So those guys don't have, you know, numbers that really stand out when compared to some other people. But CJ Stroud's the guy whose numbers, I think, compare favorably with some of the other top quarterbacks in the country. Obviously, he's on a highly ranked team. And I don't know that there's one guy who's really stood out among the top teams in the country as the Heisman favorite. I don't know if anyone's had that Heisman moment yet. So he's probably the guy for me just because he has the biggest numbers. You know, that could change too. If, if Ohio State gets in games where, you know, they need to run the ball more and Travion Henderson has to get more care or ends up getting more carries, he could definitely put up numbers the second half of the season that could get him even more into that conversation. But right now, I think with what he's done, you know, he won his fifth Big Ten freshman of the week today. CJ Stroud's the guy that I would be most, I think most likely would be in New York if, if one of these Buckeyes goes. Yeah, I mean, I know people are going to talk about in the mentions on Twitter here about the the, te- the teams they've played, Rutgers, yeah. Maryland, Indiana, whatever. I mean, the end of the day, Stroud's thrown 14 touchdowns and no picks in his last three games. It's pretty good. And I think the other thing with Stroud, and maybe our producer Lance can queue up and, and create a little jingle here for our monthly Quinn Ewers update with you, Patrick. <laughs> is he's totally shut down any talk of that. Uh, we saw some Kyle McCord this year. I think it's very clear CJ Stroud is, I mean, I, I don't have to say it, the guy next year. So give us our uh, give us our monthly Quinn Ewers update. He did not make the travel roster, and I want to know what you think about this quarterback room that could lose a few guys in a month or two. It's interesting. Ryan Day was asked about Quinn Ewers last week because there was a report, I think a, a recruit told one of the, the writers for another outlet that, he still still talks to Quinn and Quinn was going to go in against Maryland, but this, this, and this happened. And so Ryan Day was asked about it. He said, Quinn's not ready. And, you know, kind of followed up with what he'd said earlier in the year. That's just so hard to get him reps when you're preparing week in and week out for, for a game. Uh, obviously CJ Stroud takes most of those. Kyle McCord's the backup. He gets um, Jack Miller is also in the conversation there. So I've seen Quinn Ewers doing stuff at practice. He's obviously working hard. I do think he has a future here. Uh, if you follow him on social media, a lot of his his Instagram lives and stuff, he seems to be enjoying himself here in Columbus. But uh, you know, right now, it just it seems like he's essentially going to redshirt this year. And I have to imagine that that was a conversation going into the season because he decided to come here so late in the process, reclassify from the 2022 class. But you know, the kid's certainly talented. I mean, you know, you look at where he was in the rankings, and there's a reason for that. Everyone I've talked to about him says he's he's the future at Ohio State. And and so you hope that he has the patience to, to remain here, but it's certainly going to be interesting. I can't imagine that this quarterback room is going to continue ahead beyond this year with all four of these guys in there. And then it's just a question of which guy decides to make the move first and, you know, kind of what's the fallout from that. Yeah, it would be unrealistic to expect that in, in this era. Yeah. I don't know if the kombucha company is paying in that money to, 
be a redshirt bench warmer. I mean, look, like Caleb Williams is out there, you know, fifth best Heisman odds right now. Quinn Ewers. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I think you would have said this, could have seen it coming when you reclassified, um, you know, business decision there, but it, it creates a log jam for Ohio State. And I'm sure if Ryan Day could change one thing about this year, it would be that decision. Patrick Murphy, fun slate for Ohio State coming up. For my purposes, I'm hoping for some close games. I'm sure you are too, but I think we're, uh, we're feeling pretty confident that Ohio State's going to be making the playoff again. It does look that way. And, and I probably wouldn't have said that, though. I, I did try and temper things a few weeks ago by you know, saying that, look, everything's still available for Ohio State even after the loss to Oregon. But it certainly didn't look like a team that was going to, to be in a playoff. And, and you know, credit to what we talked about, about the way the Buckeyes have turned things around defensively. But yeah, this, this is going to be fun to watch over these next few weeks. As you mentioned, Ohio State hasn't faced a ton of difficult opposition other than Oregon this year. But you get Penn State coming to Columbus this week. And as much as Penn State didn't look the part these last couple of games, I do think they will be ready for the Buckeyes. It's a night game in the shoe. Penn State generally plays Ohio State tough. Obviously, the, the most talent for talent since that Oregon game. At Nebraska, always an interesting game. Ohio State's usually done pretty well there. Purdue looked interesting in on November 13th for a minute, and then they lose this weekend against Wisconsin. Michigan State, we'll see Michigan, Michigan State this weekend, which I think will give us a better sense of where the Spartans are. But that's the last game before the big one in Ann Arbor against Michigan. And I think the best case scenario is that Ohio State goes into Ann Arbor, both teams with, uh, well, Ohio State has one loss, but Michigan's still undefeated and in that top five era area in the rankings. And then you have a big showdown in, in what has been still a rivalry game for sure. And, and this part of the country, people still value that, but there hasn't been one of those big games in a few years between these two where both teams are ranked pretty high and there's a lot of the line. So that would be fun to see, you know, a, a battle like that between those two teams once again. Absolutely. We need, an, we need another uh, game of the century. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thanks to Patrick for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. Patrick, we can we can get an easier handle there. I know you're verified, but we could we could go get an easier one, I think. Uh, our producer is Lance Glenn. Lance, it's time to work on that Quinn Ewers jingle. Get us a monthly, quarterly update or whatever. Maybe we'll start doing weekly Quinn Ewers updates in a few weeks. I'm just saying, we might need to have to. My name is Trey Scott. Enjoy your day. We'll talk to you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.